Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 104, Benedict III. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Today we begin with Pope Benedict III, who was a Roman by birth and seems to have been raised in the papal service at the Lateran like so many of his predecessors. He was ordained a priest and appointed the cardinal priest of San Callisto in Trastevere by St. Leo IV. The story gets interesting with the death of Leo IV. There seems to have been several factions and candidates for the papacy to succeed Leo. The first chosen was a man named Adrian, who was the cardinal priest of St. Mark's, but he succeeded in convincing his electors that for whatever reason, don't elect me the pope. So when Adrian turned them down, they went to Benedict and they went to San Callisto and they had him elected. And it was the Roman law at the time that once he was elected, a notice was to be sent off to the emperor. And in this case, the emperor was Lothar and his son, Louis II. But the ambassadors who went were followed by a man we met last week, Arsinius, the Bishop of Orto. Arsinius wanted his son, Anastasius, to be elected pope. And it so happened that Anastasius, who had been excommunicated by Leo IV, seems to have been much more in the imperial camp than in the papal camp. Anastasius seems to have had much more of the approval of the nobility and the higher ranks of the clergy, while Benedict was the choice of the people and of the priests. Now he did his work, and the imperial representatives returned to Rome to approve the consecration of a pope. But it was not Benedict they intended to have consecrated. When they arrived at the city, they picked up Anastasius and his partisans. But Benedict sent his representatives to them, and they were shamefully treated. And when they finally entered the city, Anastasius forced his way into St. Peter's. And there in the basilica was a record of the recent synod held by St. Leo IV, which confirmed Anastasius' excommunication. This Anastasius ripped down and destroyed, along with several images of Mary and Jesus which were next to them. Now, the Liber Pontificalis notes that not even the Saracen invaders had damaged these images of Our Lord and Our Lady, but the violence of Anastasius' followers did. Then, with his band of followers and guards, Anastasius proceeded to the Lateran. The door was held against him, but on September 21st, 855, he forced his way into the papal palace, and there he found Benedict sitting on the papal throne and dressed in the papal robes. Anastasius had his followers throw Benedict off the throne and tear the papal garments from him, and Benedict was locked up in a nearby room, and with that, Anastasius becomes our next antipope. But he wouldn't last in that position very long, because by now the Roman people knew what was up, and they gathered in a characteristic Roman mob at Santo Quattro Coronati, not too far from the Lateran. And the imperial representatives appeared with drawn swords and attempted to force the crowd to elect Anastasius as pope, but the people and the clergy held firm. And after a couple of days of arguments, the imperial representatives, though they had been instructed to elect him pope by Louis II, began to turn on Anastasius. On September 24th, the clergy and the people of Rome gathered in the basilica and again clamored for the election of Benedict. And at this point, the imperial representatives suggested they have three days of fasting and prayer before making a final decision, but basically they were, they were moving. Benedict was taken out of confinement and he was brought with the people to the Basilica of St. Mary Major, where everyone prayed and fasted for three days. And at the end of that time, even Anastasius' supporters asked forgiveness from Benedict. 
and he was consecrated pope on September 29, 855. Now, Benedict was quite gracious towards Anastasius. He didn't seek exacting retribution, and indeed, in time, he restored him to full communion, and peace was restored in Rome. But again, this isn't the last we'll see of Anastasius. On the very same day that he was elected, Benedict was elected, however, the Holy Roman Emperor Lothair I died. And this leads to our next topic for the papacy of Benedict III. Unfortunately, as we've seen over the last couple episodes, the hopes that the papacy had for the Franks have been dashed as the very successors of Charlemagne have scrambled for power and territory. With the death of Lothair I, the Frankish Empire was ruled by five different people at once, each with their own little territory. Lothair had fallen ill in early September 855 and had entered the monastery in Prum in the Rhineland of Germany. And there his sons met, if you remember from past episodes, had fought several civil wars amongst themselves and against their father. And the sons met and divided the kingdom between them. With the previous division between Lothair's brothers, the former emperor of Charlemagne was now split into five different pieces. And so I'll just briefly say it from west to east, but I know it's confusing. Go look up a map of this time period if you really want to get down the details. But from west to east, we have Charles the Bald, who is the brother of Lothair, and he was ruling over most of France. Next to him in the, in the north is Lothair II, Lothair's son, who ruled most of the Low Countries in a strip down to modern-day Switzerland. Now, incidentally, they didn't know what to call this territory since it's not a natural boundary, so they called it Lotharinga, which is you know, the area ruled by Lothair. And that's where the name for the region of Lorraine in eastern France today comes from, this original division of the territory to go to Lothair II. To the south, ruling what is basically the region of Provence, France, was the third son of Lothair, conveniently named Charles of Provence. Northern Italy and the island of Corsica were ruled by Louis II, the firstborn son of Lothair, whom we've already met and is now the current Holy Roman Emperor. And to round all this out, Germany was ruled by Louis the German, the other brother of Lothair I. Again, very conveniently named for us to remember. So naturally, with all this, this isn't going to last very long. They're all ambitious men, and they're all going to start fighting soon. And naturally, as well, the Pope's going to get dragged into the middle of it. The spark that led to this centered around Lothair II. His wife, Thuteberga, I, I, who knows if that's how you actually pronounce it, Thuteberga, and her brother, a cleric named Hubert, were the instigators. Now, Hubert apparently was a total mess. He liked that his brother-in-law was in charge, and he liked to use that influence and position of power to live a rather riotous life and to try and break up the fragile peace existing between the brothers. Benedict wrote a letter to all the bishops in France demanding that Hubert come to Rome and face the charges against him. He was not living as a cleric ought to live, and his concern was to help keep the peace amongst the Carolingians and to help defend the church in France. Hubert, however, refused, and he used his influence to begin to consolidate power in southeastern France. But this relationship between Hubert and his brother-in-law started to go sour when Lothair decided that he wanted to annul his marriage to Thutaburga since she wasn't bearing him any heirs in favor of his mistress, Waldrada. Pope Benedict resisted this attempt, saying that Lothair was legitimately married to Thutaburga and couldn't divorce her, and we'll have to leave the story there, and it's going to last a couple more episodes because in 858, Pope Benedict III suddenly died. But just before we get to his death, two real quick things. The first is that the legend of the female Pope Joan, you might have heard of this legendary female Pope Joan who was only discovered uh, that she was female when she gave birth. Anyway, she's 
usually associated with this time and is oftentimes placed as being between Leo IV and Benedict III. Now, there are traditionally two dates that she's supposed to have been Pope, but clearly, as we've seen, the time between Leo IV and Benedict III is pretty well accounted for. And we'll see later that there really is no historical basis for this legend whatsoever. The other thing to note, Benedict III was the first pope to issue decrees on the funeral rites to be performed for the clergy of Rome. The pope would celebrate the funerals of his deacons and priests and bishops personally, joining with all the clergy in praying for their deceased comrades. And likewise, the clergy of Rome were to take care of their bishop in the same way when he died. Now, Benedict III died on April 7th, 858, as I mentioned, and was buried in the Basilica of St. Peter. His body was placed there by the deacon Nicholas, who we'll meet next week as Pope Nicholas the Great. But we're just going to have to wait and hear about him next time. Thanks for listening to Habemus Popham. You can check out the rest of our Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com. There you can find all our awesome podcasts. Check it out. Or you can find us on iTunes. Just search for Catholic Bites. That's Bites with a Y. Thank you. God bless.